I want to talk to you today about standing in the face of fear. Standing in the face of fear. You know, fear has two meanings. And depending on your posture and perspective, you can take one or the other. Fear can either mean forget everything and run, or it can mean face everything and rise. It depends on your posture and your perspective. Why do we, church, sometimes choose to listen to fear rather than faith? What does fear possess over us that faith doesn't? Why are we so often affected by fear before we're affected by our faith in Christ? There are a variety of answers to this scenario. Some of them are theological and some of them are practical. For example, theologically, this is the scenario because we're sinners and we're prone to focusing on the problem rather than the promise. Amen? Practically, this is the scenario because sometimes we make more of a practice of being afraid than we do a practice of being faithful. But today, in view of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 19 and following, I want to talk to you about standing in the face of fear without being afraid because God is faithful we can be fearless. I'm going to say that again because Ken coughed right on, my, right on my word. Hold it. Because God is faithful, we can be fearless. Okay, go. Oh, man. Okay, first point. I was doing so well. The blessing defined, this is found in verses 19 to 25. The blessing defined. Two simple points for you today, and I hope that you're going to walk away with a lot from both. But we're going to begin first here, that is the blessing defined. We might even say the blessing described. I didn't even realize you guys have the same shirt. Oh, it's your anniversary, isn't it? Let's start with this text. Chapter 1, verse 19 Then we set out from Horeb and went through all the great and terrifying wilderness that you saw on the way to the hill country of the Amorites, as the Lord our God commanded us. When we start with this text, essentially what we are seeing is a reminder, by way of Moses' teaching, that they are going from the Sinai Peninsula northward up into the Promised Land. We've discussed this already in the beginning of chapter 1. They had to go through very difficult terrain. Verse 19, if you look at it, says that it was, quote, great and terrifying wilderness that they had to go through. If you have an NIV, then you'll see that it's translated like this, vast and dreadful, until they reached Kadesh Barnea, which is abundant with springs and became a sort of hub for them. They were hanging by a thread, not to mention the fact that the 11-day journey took them almost 40 years to accomplish. This terrain was unforgiving and full of challenges, so you get the picture. They're not skipping through the Shire here. This is Mordor they're going through. Thanks. That was for my daughter. I get chips for that, right? Yeah. 
Good. So Moses defines this blessing again, and he's defining the blessing again, church, because when you're going through difficulties, sometimes it's important to remember why. Sometimes the blessing becomes out of focus when the challenges and the obstacles to the blessings are in between you and the thing that God has promised you. I want to share a couple of things that we learn from this text here by way of this idea. And the first is this. Moses tells them, don't be afraid or dismayed. Look at verse 21. See, the Lord your God has set the land before you. Go up, take possession, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has told you. Look at this, church. Do not be afraid. Don't be dismayed. I'm sure that there are a variety of reasons for this, and if you and I surveyed their circumstances, I have no doubt that between the two of us, we could deduce a thousand and one reasons why they had a right to be afraid, a right to be dismayed. But suffice it to say right now that they were afraid and they were dismayed. It's a Hebrew word that literally means to be broken or shattered. Have you ever been there? Sort of shattered in spirit? Sort of shook by the circumstances that you're facing? Where you're, you know God's got promises for you, but quite frankly, you're afraid because the circumstances have you Shaken, dismayed, shattered. Well, we've all been there. The word to God's people through Moses right now is don't be. And secondly, I want you to note this, and this is an important lesson for you and me. They do their research. This isn't necessarily a bad thing. We have a lot of variations perversions of the gospel that are preached and taught publicly. One of them is what we call the prosperity gospel or the name it and claim it gospel, which is sort of to say, you know, just have enough faith, it'll happen. But we don't really see that in the scripture. Faith is a prerequisite to inheriting the promises of God, absolutely. But in no place and in no circumstance does the Bible tell us that faith is ignorant. Or that faith shouldn't perform its due diligence, as it were. We're to love the Lord our God with all our mind. And so Moses, as the leader of this group of people, are facing obstacles before they inherit the promises of God and in order to deal with the fear that they're experiencing, the fact that their spirit is shattered and they're experiencing some dismay, it says that they sent out some people to spy and to scout on the land. This is found in verses 23 to 25. The thing seemed good to me, and I took 12 men from you, one man from each tribe. They turned and went up into the hill country, came to the valley of Eshkol, and spied it out. And they took, it, uh, they took in their hands some of the fruit of the land and brought it down to us and brought us word again and said, and here it is, it is a good land that the Lord our God is giving us. Now, this is found in particular, the whole story in Numbers chapter 13. And if you have some interest in it, 
I would encourage you to go to Numbers chapter 13 and read it. Suffice it to say for this morning that Moses chose one man from each tribe, 12 men, sent them into the promised land to spy it out. And it says that when they came back in Numbers chapter 13, that they carried a cluster of grapes so large that one man had to get one side of a stick and another man had to get another side of the stick and they hung the cluster of grapes on that. God's promises, church, are rich. God's promises are rich, but don't be afraid and don't be dismayed. It's not wrong to send out spies. It's not wrong to scout out what God might have in store for you. That's not faithlessness. That's investigation. That's research. The reality of the matter is, is what we see happening here is the people of God testing out the promises of God. But what we learn in this story is that only two men bring back a good report, Joshua and Caleb. And as a result, they're the only two men of that generation who can inherit the land. No one else can inherit the land because they are faithless. We know that there's pushback on the idea. In fact, in Numbers chapter 13, I think it's verse 32, it says that Joshua and Caleb said, the Lord has given us a rich land and it is flowing with milk and honey, which might sound a little inconvenient if you're lactose intolerant. But you can stick in there whatever you want. God's blessings are rich, and he does not add sorrow with it. That's the proverb. So what we have here is an amazing amount of blessing, but some challenges. And so everyone other than Joshua and Caleb, Numbers chapter 13, verse 32 says, brought a bad report. Now the New Living Translation says false report. I've always wondered about that verse because I wonder how many of you, as soon as you come up against some difficulty, start conjuring up stories to explain away your indifference, your apathy, or your laziness when it comes to inheriting God's blessing. How many of us, when it comes to a little bit of a challenge in our life, go like this, well, it's going to be too hard, let's not do it. I wonder how many of us sell a false report, sell a bad report, to excuse ourselves from the work that God has us to do in order to inherit his promises. Well, this is an important idea, and I think we all, from time to time, need to wrestle with it, but it shouldn't surprise us. Whenever we face a time or a period in between a promise and its fulfillment, it can be stressful, it can be challenging, get this, it can be expensive to our faith. Did you get that? We can go up against things in our life that are expensive to our faith. You ever been through a situation where you come out the other side and you go, man, I've got less faith now than I did before? Sometimes circumstances can do that to you. Sometimes circumstances can beat you and challenge you and ridicule you and mock you to such an extent that you get through, but you get through with that mustard seed of faith Jesus talked about. But do you get through with faith? Sometimes this happens, and as a result, faith fades from our focus 
and it helps to do a little research along the way. Think about it. If you're trying to lose weight, it helps to step on the scale every now and then to check your progress. If you're lifting, it helps to gauge your progress by adding weight. If you're trying to become debt-free, it helps to see the number go down as you're paying off your debt. If you're working in God's Word, it helps to mark the stories and the verses that you've learned and memorized that you didn't know and didn't have memorized before. This is what I want you to get. Write this down. In a very practical sense, progress requires checkpoints. Progress requires checkpoints. This is what we're seeing here. We all want to inherit the promises of God. Amen? But are we willing to check our progress? Some of us want to become a Christian and trip and fall down into glory, and that just isn't God's design. God sometimes gets us from our salvation into glory through a winding and meandering road that is full of challenges, full of obstacles, full of lessons. Progress, therefore, requires checkpoints. If you want to be successful as a Christian or any other part of your life, then you need to set up checkpoints, places where you can assess your progress, places where you can assess yourself, your development, your wins and your losses, What worked? What didn't work? What needs to be adjusted? How often do we live our lives day in and day out without ever assessing any of these things? I I think if we were to think about it, it would probably be more often than we care to admit. To us, it seems excessive that Moses reminds the people of these points that they've passed We went through here, and we went up here, and this is what we did, and we sent out the spies, and this is the report that we got. But what Moses is doing is he's reminding them of the checkpoints that they've passed and the progress of redemption. Let me ask you this. What checkpoints have you passed in your life? What checkpoints have you passed in your life? Or are you stuck in a spiritual cul-de-sac? Or you're just doing circles? really isn't a whole lot of progress. I don't know anything more this year than I knew last year. And you're just going round and round and round because you're stuck in that spiritual cul-de-sac, as it were, when you should be making progress. But you can't make progress if you don't have a goal and you don't set up checkpoints along the way to check your progress. Here, we have a blessing described Because sometimes we need the occasional reminder of where we've been, where we're going, and why. In this particular case, we know where they've been. They've been in Egypt, and they've been in Sinai. We know where they're going. They're going to the the promised land, the land that God promised to them by way of their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and we know why. Because God is a covenantal, faithful God. He's made a pact, and when God makes a promise, guess what? He keeps it. He is a promise-keeping God. And so the God of faithfulness is in control, and he's guiding his people. Will we or won't we therefore be obedient to his word? The book of Hebrews says this. I think it's on the screen. Take care, brothers, 
Lest there be in any of you an evil, what kind of heart? Unbelieving heart. Leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. So that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ conditional clause, if. If indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end, meaning if you don't, you have no share in Christ. Church, don't get stuck in Sinai. Don't get stuck in Kardash Barnea. Don't get stuck in a place short of God's promises because there are obstacles between you and the inheritance. Sometimes God will place difficulties in our way, and in his providence and in his plan, there is a purpose. Set up checkpoints and realize and appreciate that not everything is going to be a skip. Sometimes it's going to be a march. Not everything is going to be smooth sailing. Sometimes you're going to face storms. The reality of the matter is the difficulties of our circumstances don't disqualify God's promises. Sometimes God's the one that sends the storm to shape us, to mold us, to make us the men and women that he wants us to be. What does Moses say to his people? Do not fear or be dismayed. How do we stand in the face of fear? How do we live our lives in such a way that we aren't dismayed by the trials and tribulations that we encounter along the way? The answer is simple. Faith. Don't lose faith. We must hold on to faith. And this leads us to our second point. The blessing is defined. And secondly, the blessing is defended. This is found in verses 26 through 33. The blessing is defended. Now, this is the second point that we're looking at today. It's the defense of the blessing, not because the blessing was bad, not because it was unworthy of anticipation and excitement, but because, hear me now, sometimes we lose focus and we lose faith. Amen? Sometimes the blessing has got to be defined because we lose focus and we lose faith. And if we're just honest with each other, not sitting in our church that's air-conditioned and exciting things are happening and we're, we're looking forward to what God has in store for us, not, not that kind of stuff. I'm talking about Monday morning in your kitchen. Sometimes that's where it's hard to see the promises of God. Sometimes that's where we lose focus and we lose faith. Each and every one of us have those challenges throughout the week. Sometimes it's important that we defend God's blessings in light of our lack of focus and our lack of faith. Maybe that's happened to you. It certainly happens to me. Sometimes God's blessings have to be defended, church. Sometimes God's blessings have to be defended from the pessimistic people in us and around us. Amen? Look at verse 26. 
Verse 25 says they came back and they're like, we're super excited. They've got grapes. They've got figs. It's like every vegetarian's dream. I don't know. But in verse 26, it says, Moses says, yet you would not go up. Not because they weren't able. But look at what he says. But because you rebelled. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. In verse 27, and you murmured in your tents and said, because the Lord hated us, he's brought us up here, etc., etc., to destroy us with the Amorites. I want you to note a few things here. Three, to be exact. First, I want you to note their rebelliousness and complaining. I want you to note their rebelliousness and complaining. I find it interesting that the blessing of God, the blessing that God had in store, wasn't an optional blessing. Does that make sense? Everything is conditional upon the faith of his people. God says, if you believe, I will do this, right? So the prerequisite to that fulfillment is your, help me out, faith. Scriptures say in Matthew chapter 8, for example, Jesus left that town and did no more works there because they lacked faith. Here, we see the same thing. God is going to fulfill his promise. It's not optional. He will fulfill his promise. But with whom? Oh, he's going to fulfill it with the people of faith. In this particular instance, that's what we see. We see that the people are rebellious and complaining, but that does not stop God's promise. Here's your blessings, God says, and they say, oh, no, we don't want them. Moses says, you rebelled against the promise of God. You rebelled against the promise of God. This is, this is a little odd for some people to understand. But if you work, if you have interpersonal skills, if you have interrelational skills, and you work with people on a normal basis, then you, you, you learn a lesson about people, and that is sometimes they are their worst enemies. There are some people that self-sabotage every inch of progress that God gives them because they want to write a poem. Everything is going good in their life. I'm going to shoot myself in my foot. Things are going so swimmingly in my life. Nothing seems to be going wrong. I know what I'll do. I'll go start a relationship with someone who's not in Christ. That'll keep things copacetic. The reality of the truth is, guys, God's promise is handed to them, and they go, no, you can't make us take it. <laughs> That's what they're saying. You can't make me take your blessing. And God said, I'm not forcing any blessing on you, buddy. I'm going to give my blessing to those who believe. But my blessing is not the option. I've made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will fulfill it. But you don't believe, so you don't have to inherit it. Church, I want to challenge you here. Survey your life and make sure that you're not rebelling against the promises of God because you're so used to having things messed up. Check your normal. 
check your normal and make sure that when you measure it next to the Bible, what you have come to believe is normal isn't something wildly unhealthy and bad for you. You know, we do that. We become so comfortable. We become so complacent with our life. Not, not my life. You don't live in my house. Your life. We become so comfortable and complacent with the way things are, and we go, well, this is normal, until God sends us somebody, and we realize, by view of their life, that our normal is wildly unhealthy. And what we've come to accept as normal is something we should have never accepted and what God does not have in store for us. I wonder if that's your life. I wonder if every time God tries to bless you and call you into an obedient relationship with him, you rebel and say, you won't bless me. I refuse to let you bless me. Well, they like to complain too. They're not only rebelling, they're also complaining. And, and remember, this is a mentality, and so God has good in store for them, and they're like, things are going swimmingly. They're just, this is just so fantastic. I know what we'll do. Let's rebel. And of course, with rebellion comes complaining. That's what rebels do, by the way. You just flip on the news, everybody in the street is, you know, stay on point, Joe. The Bible doesn't have a lot of nice things to say about complainers. So I want you to write these verses down because it's important that you know I'm not telling you this. God is, okay? Follow me here. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20. For lack of firewood, the fire goes out. And where there is no whisperer, quarreling ceases. Well, you get that. The gossiper is the whisperer. If there is no gossiper, there's no arguments. Just like removing firewood from a fire kills the fire. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. We must not put Christ to the test, nor grumble. I mean, some of you are having, you're resisting this teaching so hard, you're already complaining. I don't like this teaching. This teaching is stupid. Who does he think he is telling me not to complain? Complaining about non-complaining. James chapter 5, verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. You can gather from these verses that God believes, teaches, says, complaining and grumbling and murmuring, whatever you want to call it, it's a sin. Complaining and grumbling and murmuring, regardless of how difficult our trials and tribulations might be, these things put a negative focus on our faith and on the promises of God, and that's why they're sin. Don't complain. But we're not done with this teaching yet. Secondly, I want you to note where they complain. Look at verse 26. Yet, you would not go up, you rebelled, 
against the command of the Lord. Here it is, verse 27. You murmured, you complained in your tents. Complainers have stronger tongues than they do backbones. Let me say that again. Complainers have stronger tongues than they do backbones. Where do they complain? In their tents. At home. Isn't it funny how complainers seldom complain in public? Well, they don't want the complaint challenged. They just want to swarm up negativity and pessimism in front of people. No. Quietly with a select group, an initiated group, if you will, which is a little interesting because complainers aren't constructive and complainers aren't compliant. Let me explain what I mean by that. They're not constructive because they really don't care if things get better. They just want to complain. And they're not compliant because they have no real interest in being part of the team. They just want to complain. Complainers are neither constructive nor compliant. And so what I want you to hear today is this. If they're complaining to you, you can pretty much guarantee it. They're complaining about you to somebody else. Complaining, grumbling, murmuring. This is not godliness. This is against what the Lord has taught us, which is to be a blessing, which is to speak truth and love, which is in view of all the promises that he has given to us, to live with joy, to live with excitement. Yet in spite of the rebelliousness and the complaining of the people of God, Moses defends the blessing of God to them. He continues to defend it. Look at the text again. We're going to begin in verse 29. Uh, then I said to you, you were complaining in your tent. You don't want to go. No, we're not going to take the blessing of God. I'm going to go back home and complain to my kids and my wife or to my husband about everything that God is trying to do for us that's good. I'm just so angry with God. And so we're going to talk about Moses, and we're going to talk about our leaders, and we're going to talk about everybody, but we're going to do it in our tent and Moses says in verse 29, but I said to you, don't be in dread or afraid of them, the, the challengers, the Amorites. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord your God who goes before you will himself fight for you, just as he did for you in Egypt before your eyes and in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. Yet in spite of the word, did you get that? In spite of the word, you did not believe the Lord your God who went before you in the way to seek you out a place to pitch your tents. In fire by night, cloud by day, to show you by what way you should go. Third, what I want you to note here in this progress is the dishonesty of the complaint. 
we can see the dishonesty of the complaint in the testimony that Moses gives of what God has already done for his people. They basically said that they were in the situation that they were in because the Lord hated us. Verse 27, they murmured in their tents and they said, the Lord hates us. He brought us out of Egypt. Bondage and slavery, mind you. He brought us out of Egypt and brought us here to go inherit the promises of our forefathers the blessings of a land that is incredibly rich because he hates us. <laughs> it's, oh, it's a perfectly sound rationale. So Moses is defending it. He's defending it because they're being dishonest in their complaint, but we know better. Their situation isn't because God's blessing is weak or because God is unfaithful. Their situation is because of their faithlessness. They aren't believing God and they aren't walking in obedience. You can always count on faithfulness, on the faithlessness and the disobedience of some people to make God look wrong. And yet, in spite of this rebelliousness, God continues through Moses to remind his people of what they've done. Two things in particular. First, God went before his people. I love what he says here. Verse 30, the Lord your God goes before you. Jumping down to verse 32, yet in spite of the word, you did not believe that the Lord your God who went before you. Did you get that? God is not sending you into a strange land. God is going before you and calling you to follow him. Isn't that exactly what Jesus said? Hey, what are you doing? I'm fishing. Stop fishing and follow me. Hey, what are you doing? I'm collecting taxes. Stop collecting taxes and follow me. Hey, I want to follow you. Okay, follow me. No, first I've got to bury my dad whenever he dies. And Jesus said, you're not ready. Following God takes sacrifice on our part to realize that there's no sacrifice at all. There is nobody who gives up anything for God. God provides everything by grace. But obedience is not negotiable. Obedience is a required ingredient to our relationship with God. Does he go before us? Amen. Yes, he goes before us. But church, we must go after. Where God leads us, we must go. But not only does he go before his people, God also goes with his people. I love this. Look at verse 31. In verse 31, Moses says, And in the wilderness where you have seen how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son all the way that you went until you came to this place. God not only goes before his people, God goes with his people in such a way or with such a dynamic that Moses said, like a father who carries his son, so was the Lord with you. Now, we know moms and dads, if we go to the park or we go for a walk or we're at the mall or whatever the case is, the zoo, and the kids go, I'm tired. Pick me up. And we carry them. And we don't have the strength for it, but we have the will. And we're carrying them, even though we don't want to carry them. But we carry them. Why? Because we love them. 
God carries us because he loves us. Moses is pulling an example from real life, and he's saying, just like parents carry their children, God has carried us, church. God has carried us. He's not only before us and leading the way, but he's with us, he's caring for us, and he's supplying everything in our need. I love what Romans 8.31 says. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? Every now and then when difficulty brings a shake to our focus and our faith, God's blessings must be defended, and that's why it's important for you never to miss Sundays and Wednesdays. We all have to be reminded that God's blessings should be defended. Why would we stop? Because of lack of faith. Why would we falter because of lack of faith? God can and will fulfill his promises for us. Why would we not aggressively and excitedly pursue God's promises with both hands? Especially in view of the fact that God has already met so many of our needs. Isn't that what Moses said? You guys have seen what he's done. He's brought you out of the land of Egypt and to this place. He's even guided you, he said, and this is after Exodus chapter 15, he guided you by a pillar of fire at night and a cloud by day. To close, let me say this. Fear's got two meanings. You can forget everything and run, or you can face everything and rise. My hope and prayer is that having defined and defended God's blessings for us, that you and I would face everything and rise. <laughs>